74 Tango Whiskey, 2.6 for 3,000, uh, 140 on Welcome to Frequent Flyer here. It is Friday, February 17, 2023 here. Somebody just cracked a, cracked a cold one as we uh, get ready me. for a long night of talking about the Philadelphia Flyers, which, you know, drinking uh, ad nauseum is the uh, best way to handle the Philadelphia Flyers these days. So that's what we do around here. Just two weeks away from the trade deadline, two weeks from tonight, and, uh, you know. We'll get into all of that soon enough, don't worry. But we also got some some news, some some Comcast Spectacore news. And uh, we'll get into that here. Mike has done a deep dive for us. So I introduced my co-host for the evening. Mike Asito is back, the one who's drinking. Mike, how's it going? Good evening, gentlemen. Great to be with you as always. And uh, yeah, we've got some some big news on the front of the, um, of the C-suite of Comcast Spectacore. But... After some digging, which we'll get into, uh, you know, I found that this is a whole lot more meaningless than the press release would suggest. And as always, Manny Benavides is back. Manny, what's going on? Hey, guys. Salutations and greetings to everyone in Flyerland. Um, well, a, a bunch of shuffling going on at Comcast Spectacore with implications for the Flyers. And uh, obviously, maybe perhaps implications for Chuck Fletcher. Who, by the way, now uh, his titles are President of Hockey Operations, General Manager, and uh, Dave Hackstall's Bitch. That's a new title <laughs> that just came out uh, yesterday after that <laughs> shit kicking to the, at the hands of the Kraken. We'll talk about Dave Hackstall in a minute. Because that is apparently a, a hot topic on Twitter these days for some reason, but... Uh... Alluding to this here, Daniel J. Hilferty joins Comcast Spectacore as Chief Executive Officer, Dave Scott, to continue as chairman. And as I said here before we started, that is a sick fucking joke that this guy's still running the Flyers. But, uh, hey, this Daniel J. Hilferty guy, once upon a time, was a uh, good uh, health insurer, I guess. Was, uh, in part, led the way to get FIFA here in 2026 for the World Cup. He organized the Pope's visits back in 20, was that 14, 2015, whatever that was. So, uh, hey, great, cool. This is, you know, I guess it signals some kind of succession plan for old Dave Scott, uh, you know, for, for the business side. And Camilla's going to need a running buddy, a right-hand man, or her right-hand man, whichever one holds more uh, power here. But, uh, Mike, you alerted us that you did a deep dive on this one. So I'll let you take it away here with your findings on this Daniel J. Hilferty <laughs> fellow. Yeah, so... um you know, I think you guys might be able to give a little more background than me on it, but, you know, just in a nutshell here. Um, so this guy was the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield here in Philadelphia of, of the healthcare company, the healthcare giant. Um, he actually retired at the end of 2020. Yes. Uh, and was a was a part time consultant for Blue Cross for about uh, two years there, probably did very little um, and uh, apparently came out of retirement. Another C-suite employee that came out of retirement to have a leadership role with this organization in some capacity. So that's pretty interesting. Um, as you mentioned, Dan, Dave Scott remains chairman and governor, um, and Camillo remains president and CEO of Spectacore Sports and Entertainment. And it was an unexpected move. Um, much to our chagrin, Hilferty appears to have nothing to do with Flyers hockey operations. He's essentially here for expanding Spectacore um, as a business. And likely in place, as um, San Filippo had mentioned, to help keep the Sixers here um, to ensure that they renew their lease in the next seven or eight years, which is by far the largest income stream that Comcast Spectacore has. If they lose the Sixers, they are in deep, deep trouble, uh, given the Flyers' pretty much irrelevancy and lack of ability to generate what I consider meaningful revenue due solely to roster mismanagement. Um, 
and you know, some things came out about how much of a mover and shaker this Hilferty guy is. He he led the charge for Philadelphia to bring the World Cup here in 2026. Um, you know, as as you mentioned, Dan, he was somehow involved in bringing the Pope here. You know, that's all great, but you know, what is this role with the Flyers? You know, that's what it comes down to me is, and how is it any different than Camillo's? But what I found out when I started looking at the at the setup of Comcast Spectacore is that Hilferty's role is actually more remote than Valerie Camillo's is. And here's why. So if you look at Comcast Spectacore on their website, they show you there's basically three main divisions. One is sports and entertainment, which Camillo's the president of. Uh, there's the gaming division and a partnerships uh, division. So. So Camillo does sports and entertainment, which is Flyers, Sixers, concerts, Disney on Ice and stuff like that. Uh, the gaming division is uh, the esports team, the former Philadelphia Fusion, now the Seoul Inferno of South Korea. Uh, and that's one that's one group of people that's based in South Korea. That's their that's their that's their gaming division. It's that one team in South Korea. Then they have the partnerships division. It's like, what the hell does that mean, partnerships? Well, it, it's involved in all these different types of companies. Uh, Spectra, which is part of Comcast Spectacore itself, that it does events. Um, something called T1 Entertainment and Sports that's an esports apparel company, which is insane. Its market is basically <laughs> South Korea. I mean, like, who the hell's buying the jersey of, like, a 16-year-old that can press buttons? It's just weird to me. Um, you have another one called Learfield IMG College, which is a collegiate sports marketing company, Nerd Street Gamers, an esports video game design company in Philly, uh, and lastly, the Cordish Companies, which is a real estate company in Baltimore. This is the; these are the areas that Helfrich, or um, I'm sorry, Helferty is going to be the CEO of. It's these things with partnerships when it comes to advertising with them and assisting with their investments or investing in them, you know, that sort of stuff. Even he's involved in that and probably the gaming division, i.e. South Korea. And then Camillo does flyers and Sixers and concerts and stuff. So at least to me, when I look at the setup of Comcast Spectacore and I look at a guy like Hilferty when he comes in here and if he's, he's not the CEO or I'm sorry, he's not the governor and chairman, still Dave Scott and Camillo's still doing sports entertainment. So Hilferty must be doing all this other junk that is literally nothing to do with the Flyers in any way, shape, or form. And, like, I love in the press release there was a quote that said, oh, he's a big Flyers fan. It's like, well, who cares? Your job <laughs> is completely unrelated to them as far as I can tell. So, you know, I think based upon, you know, the organization of the company here, the roles that we see and his title here – I just am not sure what impact this guy is really going to have at all, unless, you know, this succession plan is for him to take over for Dave Scott and eventually get into hockey decisions. Um, it just seems like this is kind of, you know, a secondary type of or third layer type of move to me. How do you guys see it? So Hilferty is 66 years old. And the official first paragraph of the press release uh, reads, Comcast Spectacore today announced that Daniel J. Hilferty has joined the company as its chief executive officer effective today. He will partner with Dave Scott, chairman of the company and governor of the National Hockey League's Philadelphia Flyers, and Valerie Camillo, who was recently named president and CEO of Spectacore Sports and Entertainment this past summer on managing its portfolio and driving its growth. So, yeah, he's... Uh, I guess picking up the pieces of whatever Val Camillo's not doing and running all these random esports mm -hmm. things that, uh, you know, nobody could possibly give a shit about in the first place. So, yeah, brought him out of retirement, comes here, he loves Philadelphia, had a good run as a health insurer, and is now managing esports. So, congratulations, Daniel J. Hilferty. I don't think he plays a single role in the Flyers. You know, this may change with time here as Dave Scott, you know, gets closer to the fucking grave. So, we could, uh, you know, always see things change here, but for the most part, doesn't see again. There's one of those guys that I probably we don't think we're going to hear a whole lot about moving forward. Don't know uh, if he plays uh, much of a role with the Flyers. At least certainly not right now. Um, so we shall see. But yeah, he's got a great name. Daniel is a great name. I'll give him that. Just so that there's no confusion, maybe we should call him uh, DJH for short. Yeah. 
that way that way we don't confuse you too. So so DJ DJH Daniel J Hilferty. So from what I can gather, he's one of these guys that uh, he's uh, he's from the area. Yes. So he went to St. Joseph's University. Um, he's he has a place in Ocean City, New Jersey, and he lives in Pennsylvania. So he is from the area. He's well versed with with the scene. And from what I can gather, all that stuff that you talked about, how he's this kind of power player, this guy that is basically, you know, convinced uh, FIFA to, you know, have Philadelphia as one of the host cities for the 2026 World Cup that's going to be hosted in three countries, um, something that they haven't really done before, not at this scale anyway. But we'll see how that works. But obviously, he's a guy with connections. And the way that Snow the Goalie, uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, described it was his main strength is in making political connections. And he knows people in the city and in the state and everything else, uh, you know, within the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So he basically linked it to, uh, you know, the whole thing with the 76ers and their, you know, attempt at building a new arena and that, you know, DJH is going to be, you know, the closer here. And he's going to be able to smooth things over and make sure that that relationship, I guess, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm saying it 100% correctly, but my take of it is, based on what Anthony Sanfilippo said, is he's probably there to smooth things out between the 76ers and the mm-hmm. Philadelphia Flyers. Um, and based on all the investment going on at Wells Fargo Center and all the upgrades in the arena and all of the you know bells and whistles, I think that uh, this is a move strictly for um, the business side and making sure that uh, mm-hmm. Wells Fargo Center, the, the Flyers, and everything else under the umbrella of the business side uh, really gets uh, a shot in the arm. I don't think it has anything at all to do with hockey, even though apparently he is a big Flyers fan. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this I think this has to do with with future revenue and positioning of the company um, in the next decade or so. Um, it's important. And, you know, it, it's probably a good move for for the company in general. Uh, it has nothing to do with the Flyers, nothing to do with the Flyers roster. It actually almost signifies that they know that the flyers are probably a liability for them and they aren't really making any meaningful revenue at this point and may not for a couple of years. Uh, and they need somebody to come in here and figure out a way to continue to build the brand. Um, I think Camillo has largely done a good job making the sports and entertainment experience very, very good, which we'll get into either this week or next week. Um, but they need someone to come in and ensure. I think that Sixers thing is absolutely critical, Manny. I agree with you. I agree with San Filippo. They need them. I mean, they're paying rent out the ass, and they're their biggest revenue stream, like I mentioned. And if they lose them, you know, I don't know if they can keep that building open with what they do with, you know, with the sporadic concerts they have, Disney on Ice, and the Flyers, you know, selling half the arena every night. It's not terrible, but they're not, they're not rolling in cash like they used to be. And that place costs a lot to keep up. And they maybe have some bills from the $500 million reno they did or several hundred million dollar reno. They have to pay so, that um, pizza maker a lot of money too, I assume. To, uh, yeah. Stay there with yeah. pizzas and milkshakes and <laughs> have to pay. Right, uh, right, right. Was it Lucas Spiza, his royalties? Which one was it? Villy Leno. <laughs> Fuck. That's who it was. Villa, yeah, Billy Leno's uh, fashion. Uh, yeah. Thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sucks, though, because when the news first came out, I think myself included, we were excited. Oh, shit. There's someone else coming in to take over for Scott. Yeah. There might be some change here, some different thinking. And then as we saw. You, <laughs> you know, read more of it. It's like, oh, wait a second. Fall. This guy's got nothing to do with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's disappointing. And the guys, I mean, he's pretty old. He's 66. He's going to be 67 this year. He's basically a year or two younger than Dave Scott. Both came out of retirement to be C-suite level um, leaders with Comcast Spectacore. It's probably not the way you want to run an organization, honestly, is to bring guys out of retirement to lead you. Um, you know, they should probably be figuring out a way to get just a little bit younger. I'm not saying, you know, bring a 22-year-old in, but probably don't bring like a 67-year-old in either. There's got to be somewhere in between there that makes sense. Um, so I think it's it's a good move. I think it's kind of a desperate move. Um, and, you know, maybe the guy has enough, you know, is 
balls are big enough to speak up and say the hockey team sucks and I want to have a say on them, but that's going to take some time. Now, speaking of the Wells Fargo upgrades and whatnot, I figured we'd get this off the table here before I forget. Um, Mike was at a Flyers game uh, a couple days ago, and if you listened to the last episode, you know he uh, took a tour of the uh, new uh, sweets and Cadillac Grill, whatever the hell it's called these days. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Mike, Mm -hmm. what was your experience like at the the Wells Fargo Center up in the fancy (laughs) people area? What was the sales pitch like? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... It kind of was like a timeshare as we <laughs> as we had speculated. Um, so it was great. So I went to the Flyers Oilers game the other week um, and I I guess I'll start off with this. I really wanted to have dinner at the restaurant there it, you know, it's the, the former Cadillac Grill. They call it Adrian's now. And I had a friend of mine from out of town. And um, but you got to have a membership to get into the restaurant. So I don't have one anymore. So I had reached out to some folks on LinkedIn with the Flyers and said, hey, I want to go there just for one game. Just let me in. They said, okay, we'll do that, but you got to take a tour of the new club level. I said, fine. Uh, so I met a representative. His name was Alex Macy. He was fantastic. He's the uh, manager of premium partnerships there. Really awesome guy. And took me on a tour, and my friend on a tour, of the new club level, which is fantastic. Um, I was super impressed. It is wide open. It's basically right above um, the first level concourse, right below the suites. Fantastic views, wide open. Uh, one thing that was really cool about the club level is they have these high top bars that are made of ice, and and when you put your drink down on it, it keeps the bottom of your drink cold. <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, and the whole level's great. Um, you know, it's they have a tequila bar there, they have a whiskey bar, they have other stuff. I mean, all these things they really distract you from the game. Um, Adrian's chop house is fantastic. Great steakhouse with views of the ice, um, all this good stuff. And what's kind of crazy about the whole experience is I was, you know, mentioning you guys on DM after I got back was like, I found myself not giving a damn about the game. I was thinking about, Oh, what am I going to eat next? Look how cool the scoreboard is. Look at the bar over there. These seats are really comfortable. It, damn, my steak was awesome tonight. I want to get another one next time I'm here. And it kind of dawned on me. I had this like epiphany and it was like Val Camillo has succeeded in her job because I was like, this arena is amazing. It's really nice. The Flyers don't deserve to play there. This roster does (laughs) not deserve to play in something that's been upgraded this substantially with all this good shit everywhere. The food is good everywhere now. The views are fantastic. The arena looks great. They did a really good job with it. And, you know, we had talked about this probably last year that there's been this migration of trying to distract the fans. They try to do it with gritty. They got a lot of pushback on there. But now they've upgraded the arena to such an extent that the amenities are so nice and just being there with your friends is is so much fun that whatever happens on the ice is is really secondary. I found myself not even paying attention to the game. I didn't care. It's like whatever, you know, there's so many other things going on there. So I'm not sure where that leaves us with the team, but I think it further divides, you know, that we have this hockey operations that's middling, failing on one end. And we do have a business unit in there that I, I, it seems to be doing a pretty damn good job, you know, and I wish that there was some sort of, uh, you know, symbiotic relationship there, but it seems like they offer or that they operate in their own channels. Um, but you know, that was basically my experience in a nutshell guys that the arena is nice. It's a nice place to go. And it's not about the sport anymore, unfortunately, because they've, they superseded it with all the upgrades. So you're ready to drop tens of thousands of dollars on a season <laughs> tickets there, Mike? <laughs> well, no, no. Actually, this was kind of cool, too. This is new. Um, they allow you now to get season tickets, but split it between Flyers and Sixers. So you get, you know, uh, 20 home games, 21 home games mm. for each, you know, something like that, which I thought was pretty cool. I would I would be attracted to that if the hockey team was even remotely interesting or split it with a couple of people. The club level is fantastic. It, it, it was just that's a hell of I a gimmick, that, actually. Yeah. To uh, you don't have to if you have any interest in basketball, you can really. Uh, devolve the misery there of watching 41 Flyers games a year. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they never offered that. Never, ever that I remember. There was no overlap with the teams. 
Um, and now, yeah, that's pretty attractive. You know, you get to see some star players in the NBA. NBA games are pretty fun. Um, and yeah, I'd consider it. But yeah, the tickets on that club level are like, you know, I don't know. It's 8,000 a ticket, you know, something like that. Yeah. 6,000 a ticket for those games. I, they are. And I got to say, if you do want to spend that kind of money, it does seem like a really, really good experience. I mean, the views are fantastic from all of the club level seats, 360. Um, the access to the bars are really good. Um, the representative guy, like I mentioned, Alex Macy, he did a, a fantastic job showing me around and he got me excited about it. Honestly, I think he did a great job, <laughs> but I'm not sure who's buying that right now. I think a lot of corporate sponsors do that. Um, a lot of companies invest in that, you know, take clients out and stuff. But, um, yeah, it was, it, I mean, it's really come full circle. You know, I saw that arena as, as it was, you know, years ago, it looked like a vestige from 1997 and they've completely transformed the whole thing. Parking still sucks, but, <laughs> but other than that, you know, the arena is pretty nice. So, you know, that's what, I was there against the Oilers too, with McDavid and Dreisaitl, and it's a good team. The Flyers played like shit, ended up winning in overtime. Um, but you know, that's a dynamic that I don't think I've felt before. Uh, that the arena supersedes the product on the ice, and it has. It really has. See, that's a pretty cool experience that you had there, Mike, and I'm glad that it was a great experience for you and your buddy. I'm wondering if, as you say, Val Camillo has done too good of a job upgrading everything and what that actually means for the Flyers. Because if the hockey team isn't as exciting and isn't people don't want to fork out the money to go to the arena, the arena bells and whistles will bring people in. Yeah. But how many of them are going to be brought in? You know, what kind of a crowd is it going to be? Is it going to be people that are entertaining clients and business people? Um, Or is it going to be actual flyers fans? Is it going to be families with kids or is it going to be, you know, people who, you know, they could blow a lot of money on, you know, four or five games a year, you know, drink their fill, eat their fill, have their, you know, $20 milkshakes and call it a day. I don't know. I think that that has repercussions for the team and, and the fan base as well. Like I know that the Sixers are a popular basketball team and they certainly have a history and a name behind them too, but you don't really want to get into a situation where the Sixers are, you know, head and shoulders above the flyers in terms of entertainment and entertainment value. And, you know, you're right. The the business side, it's pretty creative that they can give you, you know, a half a season Sixers and a half a season Flyers. I've never seen that. Uh, I know that the Toronto FC, they have they're owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment up here in Toronto. And uh, they offer season tickets. They also own the Toronto Argonauts, which is the CFL football team. They don't split you season tickets there, but they'll give you a discount if you buy the season tickets for both. Um, the thing that makes this that creativity a little bit, you know, sketchy for me is if the building was sold out every night, logistically, I don't even know how you'd be able to do that to give a half a season and a half a season and somehow arrange it so that everybody's got their seats and everything. That would be a nightmare to organize. Mm-hmm. But because of the declining season ticket numbers, that's kind of a carrot to just get people in the building because that's the name of the game is you get everybody through the gate and then they'll buy the beer and the concessions and the pizza and the milkshakes and they'll make their money. They just don't want to take too much of a bath, I don't think, on the actual price of the ticket. That's Mm -hmm. the crazy thing. People are going for an experience in catching hockey on the side versus going to the hockey arena to watch hockey. You know, that that seems to be the um, direction they're heading in. And, you know, I mean, hell, it's a, it's a hell of a business strategy. If you're the flyers, you know, if nobody's going to pay to watch your shit product that you have on the ice, you may as well do something to bring people there. And it sounds like, you know, they've, they've done well in that regard. So give the business side props, Mm -hmm. but the hockey side as always the gargantuan piece of fucking shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like my takeaway, it makes some great points, Manny. And my main takeaway, you know, this, the Flyers roster just doesn't deserve to play in an arena like that. 
They really don't. They're not good enough. Um, management has not assembled a roster that's it's really worth watching. You know, they have some, you know, some some interesting and decent middle to bottom players in certain areas that, you know, are NHL caliber. That's fine. But, you know, what is this like? This arena should be for one of the elite teams in the NHL. This should be for a team that contends for a cup or that has star players that's worth coming out for and watching every single game. And it's just it's a weird juxtaposition when you're in this place now and it's like, you know, Oh shit. You know, what's fucking, you know, Ollie Lexell going to do on his next shift. <laughs> like it's just, it's just so incongruent when you see a squad like the flyers out there that have no place in a building like this right now. You know, I mean, for all, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're, you know, a, a quad a team essentially with, you know, some guys who can pot some goals here and there and, you know, some other interesting players, I guess, but, um, it's just, it's just a weird fit when you see the flyers right now. Cause they're so far off. It seems like, well, I guess we can use that to jump into the fact that the trade deadline is a couple of weeks away Woo-hoo! here. Yeah. Back on the hockey side. And, you know, <clears throat> we have, you know, theorized over the last few episodes and, and weeks and months and through the writing and whatnot, you know, looking at guys like Travis Konechny and Provorov and Hayes, you know, making some legit grand slam moves here with the top players on your roster to to initiate the change that they so desperately need. And, you know, it, all that stuff is possible. And then there were rumors earlier in the week, thanks to our, uh, our uh, Flyers AD co-host, Anthony DeMarco, that they are not interested in trading Nick Sealer. And when I saw that, you know, it's been a long time since this team has got me really heated about something because I just don't fucking care anymore. We've been defeated. I, totally defeated. Totally stomped out. <laughs> but when this team needs to make the level of changes that they do, they need multiple home runs over the next, like, six months of their existence here to truly put a product in the ice next season that's worth watching. And they are terrified of trading Nick Sealer. I just, like, I was ready to start throwing shit when I saw, I've never been so fucking angry. I, I cannot believe your number seven defenseman who playing 10 minutes a night. They, you got so many left-handed defensemen in this system right now that one of them just asked for their fucking contract release because he's not getting ice time. And we just have to keep Nick Sealer. Now, I wrote my trade, uh, trade deadline prediction piece a couple weeks ago now, and I didn't even put Nick Sealer in there because it didn't even cross my mind that they were going to move him because he still has a year in his contract and they're relying so heavily on the fucking guy. And then everyone on Twitter started talking about him like he's going to get traded. Oh, Nick Sealer, throw this, Nick Sealer, this, Nick Sealer, that. I'm like, huh, you know what? Maybe he fucking will get traded. And then it comes out, it's like, no, they're going to fucking hold on to him. I'm like, fuck, I hate what I'm right. I <laughs> Why? Why? Why can we not fucking trade Nick fucking Sealer? What? I just it's like fucking Chris Vandevilly all over again. This guy's just his cockroach. He's never gonna go away. Thank fucking God he's already signed to his extension. Can you imagine the contract this this guy would fucking get if he wasn't under contract next year? Eight by eight contract coming his way. Sean Couturier deal all over again. Holy fuck! I I just. Oh, really setting the bar low for this trade deadline when they're too scared to part ways with Nick Sealer. Well, you know it's a big issue because whichever way you fall on this debate, it's, well, the Flyers are crazy to trade Nick Sealer because he's having a great season and he provides awesome value as a bottom pair defenseman making, you know, 800 and change. Doesn't count against your cap for anything. And he's signed for next year. So they don't have to trade him. So you're crazy if you want to trade that guy because the value that you get in return, what's a fifth round pick going to do? What's a fourth round pick going to do? But then you sit there and you go, well, if a team wants a defenseman just for depth, I would be more interested in Nick Sealer than Justin Braun at this point. Same. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Like, Justin Braun is not going to get you... Like, everybody was like, well, if we can get what we got for Justin Braun last year at the trade deadline, you're not. I don't think you're going to get anything for him. You know, if you can get something for him, great. 
for me, it's more about Igor Zamula. Do you see Igor Zamula as being an NHL player next season? If that's the case, if the answer is yes, Nick Sealer is absolutely expendable because they're basically making the same money. The difference, though, is, is it worth it? Is this just a big game of chicken? Is Chuck Fletcher a genius trying to make it seem like he ain't trading Nick Sealer to try to drive the price up here a little bit? I don't know. But it is crazy that this fan base goes berserk one way or the other over a fucking number six defenseman. A guy who means nothing to this team going forward. We're, we're talking about getting top-line talent. We're talking about getting top-pair defensemen. We're talking about getting top-shelf stuff. And people are arguing and going mental over Nick Sealer. The guys had a good year. You got to ask yourself, is Nick Sealer's value ever going to be greater than what it is right now? Right now. Probably not. Never. I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it comes down to the Flyers, too, is <clears throat> they're so pathetic with the way that they value players is that they say, oh, we found someone that can play a third-pair role on defense. Well, we have to keep him now. We found someone that can play third-line right wing. We have to keep him now. Like, that's the thing is, like, once they find guys that are simply just competent in their roles, they've reached Flyers, like, elite status, untouchable status where it's like, well, we have him and he can play that position. Why would we ever trade him? It's like, it's, it's such a micro way of looking at things because there's no big picture analysis. There's no big picture building that's going on. It's just, Oh, well, if this guy's competent at the role, why would we get rid of him? It's like, okay, are you playing for like April of 2023? Or are you playing for, you know, maybe a year or two or three years from now, trying to build a roster in some way. That's the thing. Is it blocking another player that probably is part of the future? Like you alluded to Manny with an Igor Zamula. Like, I don't know if that analysis really resonates with them. I'm sure they think of it, but they lock themselves into these guys in these lower roles and think that they're these sacred cows all the time. And it basically immobilizes them. They become immune to trade, immune to moving them. Uh, and then you add on the layer of Chuck Fletcher being a terrible negotiator. Every other GM knows that he's desperate as hell to try to flip a player or try to do something to gain an advantage, you know, in talent on his roster. And they all know that he doesn't have anything to begin with. So it's a it's negotiating from a position of weakness rather than strength. Um, and I think I think if you put all that in a blender it comes out to just failure. And that kind of goes back to the question that we've talked about too, is how is Chuck Fletcher still here and running this trade deadline? You know, I had predicted it. I predicted it from months ago, but you know, a lot of people were skeptical of it and I just don't understand. I mean, how, how did we get here with Chuck Fletcher? I mean, how is he still permitted to execute this stuff? Because I don't see much of anything going on for the trade deadline. Do you guys for the flyers? I've had a, quite a few people over the last couple of days when I've lost it on Twitter about this Nick Sealer thing go, but Daniel, you got to give him time. You know, <laughs> oh, you can, no. you got to know what's going on here. And I'm like, oh, okay, hold the no. fuck up. First of all, everything this fucking team does is predictable as fuck. That's the problem beyond all else. But I have to give Chuck Fletcher time. The last four and a half years of abject failure is not enough time to come to the conclusion that they fucking overvalue Nick Sealer aren't going to move this guy. I just, like, holy fuck, how, how are we still at this point where this guy is managing this, you're, what, oh, I don't even, not every day Dan the Flyer fan is speechless, but uh, how do you keep this, you're, why give him the trade deadline? Because you won a couple games against some Western, uh, the, the 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 California teams. You beat, you know, the Ducks twice. Oh, that ended your losing streak. Great. He has to stay employed now. The reason they don't want to fucking get rid of him. You know, the next opportunity, we've talked about this, you know, over the last few weeks. The next opportunity to ditch him is the middle of April when the season ends. But you're giving him the trade deadline. 
which means they have some level of faith in the guy. If you didn't have faith in the guy, you would have put Briere in there by now. But I just like... <laughs> deeming Nick Sealer too valuable. The overhaul that you need to do here, and we'll get into you know some other free agents and whatnot as we go along here, but like... You gotta fucking clear a shit ton of cap to throw money at Dylan Larkin if by chance he becomes available. And you're fucking scared to move Nick Sealer. A seventh defenseman, and you need to go big game hunting for the best talent in the league this summer. Like, we're not even in the same fucking stratosphere with this team at the moment when it comes to what they're focusing on versus what they should be focusing on. I can't, if Nick Sealer's still after the trade deadline and there were rumors that they were going to move him, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. They may not move JVR. They're just going to keep fucking everybody. We got to keep fucking JVR dead. Oh, we got to resign him for four more years just to piss me off. I hate this team. Have I ever mentioned that before? I fucking hate this team. Fuck Chuck Fletcher and Nick Sealer. <sighs> yeah, it's uh, it's 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 very perplexing to say the least. It's um, either you hold on to him until the off season and then you flip him then. But you know, you're right. His value is as high as it's ever going to be. Right? Yeah. What now. kind of value does he hold in June <sighs> that he doesn't hold now? I think. I think what you do with him is is you flip him for maybe if you're a competent general manager, maybe get a mid round draft pick for him because I agree. I think that he does uh, make sense for a playoff roster. He's a pretty physical player. He's had a solid year on the third pair. He could help a playoff team. He has you know virtually no cap hit. I think signed for one more year after this, which is somewhat helpful for a team to have on that on that lower pair moving forward. Um, why not flip him, get the cap space, get maybe a mid-round pick, and you use that as an asset to combine with other assets to make a larger move now or later? I mean, that's really where my my mindset would be, rather than thinking that Nick Sealer is a solution short-term or long-term. One year left at 775 k which is also a two-way contract. See, the only thing that makes sense for me in, in terms of an argument for keeping him is that he's only making 775. So he's cost controlled for another year. That being said, if a team comes in and offers you a third round pick. Yep. Bingo. I mean, you're in a selling mode. You've got to dump players. Like you got to get rid of. They're not people. in selling mode, man. They're making a playoff push. Yeah, that's right. I know. And I and I made that comment earlier and people were like, no, I don't think I've seen that at all. Oh, yeah, I've seen. Oh, I've seen weeks. plenty of it. Oh, Morons yeah. I think that this team is going to make wild card, too. I don't know why. Yep. But uh, the thing with Nick Sealer is I'd even entertain, you know what? Screw it. Keep him and see if you could flip him next year on one condition. That Chuck Fletcher basically says, you know what? I'm not dealing with this Nick Sealer thing right now because I want to deal Tony D'Angelo. D'Angelo's got next year five million bucks. You got teams sniffing around for Eric Carlson, like Edmonton. And logistically and numbers wise, there's I don't see a way. I mean, listen, I know Edmonton would be interested. He's having a great year, Eric Carlson. But how are you going to convince eleven and a half million dollars? How are you going to convince the owner of the San Jose Sharks that hey, for the next four years or whatever it's remaining on his contract, four or five years, we got to eat four million dollars a season or five million dollars a season? Screw that! If I'm the owner, I'm like, I'm not doing that unless I'm getting something crazy, like really good in return, and that's absolutely going to help our team going forward. <laughs> so. That's a team, Edmonton, where they want uh, somebody that can move the puck out of their zone. And Tony D'Angelo can do that. Offensively, I'm not too worried about Tony D'Angelo. Defensively, he's a fucking train wreck. But that's okay. That's a guy where you could say, you know what? Forget Eric Carlson at $11.5 million a season. We got one more year at $5 million for Tony D'Angelo, a guy that can move the puck and help get the puck into the neutral zone, into the hands of Dreisaitl and McDavid and Nugent Hopkins and everybody else. And you know what? If you've got to take back, you know, a Jesse Pooley-RV, that's $3 bucks. okay, then you do that. But 
that's the type of deal or the type of player that I'd want to see moved. Somebody on this defense has got to go. Mm-hmm. You got, and it can't just be Justin Braun. It's that does gonna nothing. Be just Justin Braun. D'Angelo should. They're go. trapped. It makes. I think sense, they're trapped. But... And yeah, I agree. I think D'Angelo should go. The problem is that he signed next year for a pretty damn high cap number. Um, with the cap that is largely flat into next season, allocating what five mil plus for D'Angelo is is stupid. It's a it's a dumb idea. It's a it's a waste of probably at least $2 million. You know, D'Angelo is probably about maybe a two and a half to three and a half million dollar player right now. Maybe somewhere, somewhere, arguably somewhere in that range. I don't know if you're going to get a team that's going to not only trade assets for him now, but then retain him for next season at a significantly inflated cap hit when most teams have absolutely no wiggle room. So I think that's going to be one of the issues here is that, yeah, I think on paper, sans the cap hit, yes, he makes complete sense to get rid of. I just see a hard time another team for another team actually taking a chance and saying, yeah, we're going to allocate five mil plus next season for that. Um, you know, that's where you make a bad trade, you assign him to a bad number, and you get fucked. And that's what's going to happen to Fletcher right now. And he's going to get completely stuck because they're overpaying him by at least $2 million. I enjoyed yeah, the Tortorella quote the other day, and I don't have it offhand, but he's basically like, yeah, Tony D'Angelo isn't very good. It's like, yeah, great. It took you to the middle of the fucking season to realize that 50-some games into the year. Uh, you know, like, D'Angelo's going to put up points. You know, a right shot defenseman that's going to put up points is not, Worthless. He's at 31 right now through 51 games. He'll probably finish around the 45-ish point mark. Half of those points have come in the power play. You know, that's not nothing. One year at $5 million is not the quite, you know, he's definitely getting overpaid, but it's not quite the financial commitment that, you know, going out and getting Matt Dumba in free agency could be. You know, the the, the financial and uh, especially length commitment just isn't there. So you could move him. Whether they do it or not is a different story, and what kind of market he has out there, I have no idea. Apparently, there were quite a few teams interested, you know, uh, over the summer when when Carolina was looking to deal him. And I think in the right scenario, like a Carolina, a defensively sound team, you can throw him in there, and it'll cover a lot of his mistakes. But we're getting the New York Rangers version of of D'Angelo, which is he's going to produce points, but he's a piece of shit defenseman. He just hasn't punched out Carter Hart yet. But uh, it's just. Yeah, no, it's more a matter right now of, 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 I don't know if he's a deadline deal. That may be an off-season move just because of the, the tremendous cap that he carries next year. But, um, yeah, no, no, he, Sealer, and Braun all should be gone and they should be replaced with Zamula and Adderd. That's what I would do. But, you know, that makes sense, which means the Flyers aren't interested in doing it. Wow, so Tortorella said that about a fellow Italian? Yeah, that's like more. That's like more Italian on Italian violence and the Corleones and the Tataglias and the Godfather. <laughs> that's right. Jeez, I'll I'll ask you guys the question then. Who who would you rather have going into next year? Nick Sealer at seven seventy five, or Tony D'Angelo at five mil? Sealer. Neither. Is that an option? I mean, the cap hits are just so desperate. There's no. I mean. Yeah, for me, it's about the cap hit. Yeah, you you have to clear the money, and if there's a way to make it, even that, even if you can, if you have to take some money back, if Nick Sealer just played as a fucking Greenland. seventh defenseman and and stayed the fuck in the press box most night, and Zamula could actually give it, get NHL time and prepare himself for the future, yeah, I take Sealer. But the fact that this guy is still taking precedence over all of their fucking young talent is ridiculous. You've got Zamula down there who should be getting NHL minutes by now. You've got, uh, you know, fuck Kevin Kanaan's down there still. I would rather have him in the NHL. You know, fuck Adam Giddings had a really good season. I would not mind throwing that guy a bone and giving him a third pair minute. Like, I I just don't understand why Nick fucking Sealer, of all people, is just this in-fucking-dispensable player that that, that just is here forever. It's crazy that they get hooked on guys like this. This was a Hextall thing. That we're getting hooked on these random depth players, and now we're doing it again with Nick Sealer. I just don't understand. <sighs> How old do you think Nick Sealer is? 28? Six. 29. 29. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I'm looking at his ca- um, 
hockey db page it's like the first few years it's like us ushl then he goes to you know university then he's in the ahl with iowa wild then he's playing with the minnesota wild the iowa wild chicago and then philadelphia it's like career year 10 points in 53 games and he's immovable yep we can't get rid of him yeah it's like also like what's the point of having good third pair defensemen right now for this team like what you're you're building from your third pair up to your first it's just so backwards it's like because okay, they don't have top defensemen so you need to yeah. fucking sit here and champion your number six guy so pathetic just... i mean listen analytically he is having a good year and listen he has punched because he's playing way. 10 minutes a night in favorite minutes that's why his analytics look good well and that's fair and that's why if if a team comes in and wants to overpay you to get Nick Sealer, I don't see how you could just dismiss it out of hand. If anybody I mean, if wants to wants do to anything speaking. for Sealer, like, wh- why? <laughs> why? Other than the cap hit, what the fuck purpose does this guy serve right now? I mean, what do you think they could actually get? Do you think that if we had a competent GM, he could potentially finagle that third rounder for him? I think it's maybe possible. I think your third is is definitely on the table. I would say fourth no. right now, and if you had somebody competent, they could probably finagle a third. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, more than what you're going to get for Braun, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't see mm-hmm. any. I, you'd be crazy to give anything more than a fourth round pick for Justin Braun. And even that I feels generous. That, yeah, yeah, that does feel generous. Yeah. Jeez. So. Now for the granddaddy of them all, James Van Riemsdyk. Oh. And Dan, you had a great article on brotherlypuck.com about some different destinations for JVR, include Dallas, Minnesota, Vegas, Winnipeg, I think. Um, where do you guys see this situation going? I mean, I know there's been some reports that the Flyers are uh, are putting him out there, trying to gauge interest here. Where do you think the league stands on him? I mean, I have a fairly negative view on his effectiveness, but do you think the Flyers are able to actually get anything for him? So, I don't know. You know, We talked last time we sat down that Vegas was circling this team pretty hard with scouts and theorized that it could be JVR-related. You know, Minnesota Wilds seem to be the team they are linked to most often um, with some of the, the rumor mill stuff out there. Um you know, I don't know what the hell this guy does via trade. You know, he put up all those points when he came back right out of the gate, and now he's got uh, two goals and one assist over the previous one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games. Two goals and three points in the last eleven games. In typical JVR fashion, you know, the the long stretches of inactivity are back. You know, which which probably downs his trade value a little bit. If they traded him, you know, three weeks ago, and he was a uh, you know twenty two points in uh, twenty games or whatever it was. When he first came back, you know, he looked good, but now the, the he's back on his slump, back doing nothing, and I don't know what he's going to get. I, I see people's, oh, you we can get a first-round pick for the guy. There's no fucking way anybody's no. going to get a first-round pick no. for this guy. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, I think at best case, you're getting a second. Worst case, you're going to get, like, a third and a fourth, or, like, a third and a fifth or something like that, kind of a package deal. But I, I, I just, there are too many names. You know, Tarasenko already got traded. Patrick Kane may or may not get moved if they, you know, they're just the Timo Mier. There's so many wingers right now available that that JVR is not in the tier of some of the top guys that may get moved on deadline day. So you're not going to get the best return for him. If this was a different year and the trade deadline was like Baron and JVR was the guy, maybe you get lucky and make a move or two. But I don't think you're going to get that lucky this year. So you know, second, maybe third round pick. I, I, I cannot imagine there's anything more than that in the cards. Maybe some random throw-in prospect or something. But, you know, beyond that, I, I, I think you're going to be pretty disappointed by the price tag that ultimately gets uh, dealt for JVR there. Yeah, no matter what, it's 50% retention right off the top, for sure. Yes. Yeah. To make that deal happen, they, mm. the Flyers need to hold back 50% of the salary, and that's fine. But again, if you're Vegas... And, you know, you've got a, a forward crop with, okay, Eichel, Mark Stone is gone for a while. Does he come back for the playoffs? I, I'm not sure what his injury situation is like. You know, you've got oh yeah, William Carlson, who we mentioned on the show last time, overrated, not really a goal scorer anymore. They, they're going to add another 
kind of, you know, middling forward to that group, they need to make a splash. If Mark Stone's not on that forward crew, the, the guy that they need to go after is Patrick Kane. Now, I don't know how they're going to make that work with the cap because their cap is like a freaking smorgasbord of caca all over the place with money and LTIR and no trades and no moves all over the place. They're cap friendly. It's like a freaking Where's Waldo book to try to find out some semblance of meaning. But a JVR isn't going to move the needle for Vegas. You know, Minnesota? I'm sorry, but I've seen a, a couple of their their games recently. They are garbage. They are fit desperate right for offense. Yeah, they are absolutely atrocious. They should not be as bad as they are. And it's literally it's a, it's Kaprizov, and then it's like a bunch of other guys because they have fourteen million dollars in dead cap between uh, the Suter and Prese buyouts. Suter yeah. Prese, yeah, <laughs> right. So does JVR move the needle? Does JVR make them no. like for sure solid? Move the needle for team? anybody? Yeah. No, and, and that's why I'm like, if if anything, you're getting a I think a third round pick for JVR, and if you really get some people into a bidding war, but again with these big names still out there. They're way more attractive than yeah. JVR. Yep. Mm-hmm. So and he's I don't making see almost it... the same amount of money. More or less. You know? Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather, you know, get Chicago to retain half of Kane's salary yep. and go for Kane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, I think with JVR, I think there's an argument to be made that GMs don't have all that much interest in him. You know, if you look at this guy as a whole and you and you and you rewind to last summer, obviously Chuck Fletcher was trying to get rid of him at the 11th hour. JVR is a guy that with one year, only one year left on the contract and no general manager would touch him with a freaking 10 foot ball for free. I mean, yeah. Nobody, yeah, nobody would take they JVR for free. You could have taken him completely off your hands with no strings yep. attached. You could have had JVR. Everybody said, no, fuck you. Yep. And yeah. at the time, so, it was like, well, we had to give him a first-round pick for him now, but if we wait till the deadline, we can get a first-round pick for him. And then I've heard that again lately. Well, they get a first-round pick for you. You're not getting a fucking first, but you're never, never. If nobody, fu- This is the Shane Gosberg thing. If nobody fucking wanted to touch this guy for free multiple times, nobody's going to pay up for him when it comes time to do it. It's just ridiculous. Bingo. Bingo. And that's where I'm at with this, Dan, is, you know, you rewind to that point in time. Now we go to present day. And now with two months left in the season, a team is all of a sudden going to fork over a high round pick to an obviously desperate general manager and Chuck Fletcher. I mean, I think all of really going to do on a team. I mean, maybe he pops in a couple of goals here and there, but that's about it. You know, are they going to bring in a guy who who takes shifts off. He's not a physical player. Um, he can't be relied upon for anything come playoff time. I and mean, he was benched by Lane Vigneault yep. as a fourth liner and just off of the team during a playoff run here. You know, it's like, who cares if he dumps in 15, 18, 22 goals a season? Like that benchmark is not what general managers are looking for come playoff time. Um, I think a scenario still exists where Chuck Fletcher comes back to the table and says, we didn't like any offers, so we chose to re-sign JVR and bring him back for two years. Oh, I mean, Mike. I think that exists <laughs> because every GM knows this guy isn't worth shit. So if Fletcher isn't getting back you know, that second-round pick, which he wants, he's going to hold on to him and say you know what he's part of our veteran group here we didn't get what we wanted no gm wanted to you know trade something of value for him so you know the bet the next best option for us was to bring him back at a discounted rate which he might agree to here we I are mean, we, we need dylan larkin but oh no we're gonna keep nick sealer and jvr instead enjoy i'm gonna <laughs> that, that's my whole totally thing plausible. That's my, you know, it is, it, it, certainly it's, it's in the realm of possibility. That's the thing that drives me nuts about Chuck Fletcher is he won't trade JVR because oh, I didn't get the value at the deadline that I wanted to get him for. But meanwhile, teams are knocking on the door to get Nick Sealer for a fucking third <laughs> round pick. And you're fucking, no, no we need him. Yeah. him. No, we need him. We need him for next year. It's, it's bizarre. I, I just, there's no cohesive logical strategy 
it's like every player is completely different and every player fits a different plan and they don't even know which plan they're freaking going with. It's yeah, like exactly for this trade deadline to be a success. I wanted to get this question in for you guys. What is it going to take for a, a successful trade deadline? I think JVR has got to go no matter what you got to trade it for something. If you can get rid of Braun, if you can get rid of Sealer, then if you, well, and if you keep Sealer, I think if you could free up some salary and I mean by a trade, a D'Angelo trade, then I'd be pretty happy because you're at least freeing up money and that gives you options in the off season and at the draft. At this yeah. point, fuck, if, as, if they just move JVR, Sealer, and Braun, get all three of them off the team, I don't give a fuck about the return, just let them all go, I'd be fucking dumbfounded. Let alone D'Angelo or Prover or Connect or anything like that. That's a whole different goddamn thing that's clearly not going to happen. If they just get rid of those three, I don't give a shit what the picks are, if they can just say, bye-bye, JVR and Sealer, you know, uh, that alone, that's a fucking win at this point. That's where the bar is at. Mm-hmm. Let's just move the players that we need to move first before we, you know, we even talk about returns or, or bigger trades. I think, I don't know, I mean, it's so pathetic where we're at with Chuck Fletcher, and he's certainly not the general manager to do any of this. But I think that, I don't know, to me, a successful trade deadline is comprised of two main buckets. Bucket number one is to liquidate all your soon-to-be UFAs, obviously the JVRs and the bronze and all that stuff. The second bucket is to make at least one trade involving a player who will not be a UFA next year and clear cap space, significant cap space, whether it's, you know, not like, you know, 700,000, but like multiple million doesn't have to be a, you know, a Kevin Hayes or something, but like a D'Angelo is a great example. He's here for another year. He makes 5 million. You get rid of that. That's significant. If, if he can hit in both of those buckets, I think that would ultimately be a successful trade deadline for the flyers. Do I think Chuck Fletcher is capable of doing that? No, I do not. But if you had a, a decent GM in here that understands the future of the team and is building towards something, that's what the landscape would look like to me. So that's where we're at. So uh, uh, for Dan, the bar is super low. Yeah. <laughs> limbo, limbo, limbo. Chuck Fletcher can't limbo, man. The bar is going to be freaking 10 feet in the air. Yeah. And then I guess one other question for you guys about the trade deadline here is, you know, I think Manny, you had posted um, a hypothetical about um, uh, the goalie situation with Felix Sandstrom. I think it's an interesting question. Um, is there value that he has for trading? You know, is Urson someone who steps in in that role next season? Uh, how do you guys see that playing out? And is it worth even teasing a Sandstrom right now? So. The thing with this, you know, obviously this has been a fairly hot topic from the fans all season, but you only had three goaltenders for quite a while there. You had Hart, you had Urson, and you had Sonstrom because you didn't have a fourth string guy. Grossnick was hurt since October, and he just came back earlier this week. You know, he was not there this whole time, and Fedotov has been in a Russian gulag for, you know, uh, the, the year after being abducted by the you know, the military. So you really couldn't risk putting Sonstrom on waivers because if you lost him and then one of Harder Urson got hurt, you were fucked, right? Because Nagel and Nolan Mayer are not under NHL contract. So now that Grossnick is back and you have that fourth string guy who could be a third string guy if need be, you could now either put Sonstrom on waivers or dangle him via trade. I don't know. I do think there's value with Sonstrom. I, I, I think this guy has been treated like absolute shit by this organization over the last year and a half at this point. Um, I, I, I like at what his basics are, his playing style. I like what he does. I think any team that could wants to take a shot in the dark at a relatively young goaltender, Sonstrom's the guy. Um, does he possess much trade value right now? No, probably not. But you can do it. And, I mean, even John Tortorelli the other fucking day just said, like, Urson's our guy. Fuck Sandstrom. You know? Again, paraphrasing, but that was more or less the message that he was getting across there. So, 
Urson, I think, is the guy long term. I think that's always been the plan since he showed up. Um, and, you know, Sandstrom has, has not done himself any favors with the play, even though I don't think it's been primarily his fault at the result. Um, they could try and move him uh, for for a late-round pick or put him on waivers or something. Um, but, you know, I, I would assume he's one of the guys that is not here next year, uh, though, despite being under contract. So... Whether it comes to the deadline or the offseason, my guess is uh, Sonstrom is on borrowed time here in Philadelphia. But I do like him. He definitely deserves to go somewhere else with a chance, um, a chance to succeed that's going to actually give him some playing time because I, I, I cannot even fathom the bullshit they put that guy through over the last couple of years. But, yeah, I don't know if it happens at the trade deadline, but it could very well be a possibility. I mean, they really do seem to like uh, Sam Erson, um, at least in the short term here, so... We shall see, but yeah, it's possible. You can maybe throw his name in the, the maybe pile of whether they move him at the deadline or not. I don't even know if he'd get picked up on waivers. The only team that I could see totally picking him up would be Ottawa because they've got Talbot on IR and Anton Forsberg's out for months. He's going to miss the rest of the season. So they're rolling with Mad Sogard and Kevin Mandelis. Who? Oh, brutal. Two em- Two emergency loan guys hmm. on their on their on their roster. So that at that point, why not grab a Sandstrom? So that would be a team that I would be like, hey, what are you going to give us for this guy? Like, give us something. For I'll give you sure. a sixth round pick. No, we need Sandstrom. We can't have a sixth round pick. Ah! <laughs> exact Chuck Fletcher quote right there. <laughs> it's bad. I don't see him uh, in orange and black next season either, though. I think, Dan, you're totally right. I think that the writing's on the wall. I think the Flyers are clearly making a a pivot towards Sam Erson. Um, And then I think that based on, uh, you know, Fedotov being uncertain in in what's going to happen, if he can come over or not, I don't think he can. Um, I think the Flyers are going to have to be really active to get, you know, yet another veteran for the AHL. Or they're gonna dip into the draft and grab somebody this year. Yeah, their only other guy internally is Russian too, isn't he? Yeah, Musselov kid, whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just don't want them to go out and spend money on some shit ass veteran backup goalie like they did for eight, nine, ten, twelve years here. It's so it's so pathetic. You don't want Brian Elliott in front of their fucking six years. Oh, God, I I, <laughs> I, I couldn't stand. Those one to two year deals they gave to him and Neuvers, Neuvers, yeah, uh-huh. it was just incessant with these fucking goalies. Luckily, and, your NHL uh, level seems to be locked up for the long term with Hart and Erson, who are both in their early twenties. Um, I like that. Yeah, that's the one position on the team. If they go with those two, that I am like, okay, I'm cool with that for the time being. And Grossnick. Should have been a guy. I mean, this is a fucking guy who was a top AHL guy over the last few years. He played three games of the Phantoms, got absolutely shelled in October, destroyed. I believe it was his leg. I don't know if it was his knee or his hip. Uh, and then has been out ever since it came back earlier this week. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know whether they re-sign him or look for somebody of his you know equivalent talent. Because um, I don't think you're going to have, uh, again, with Fedotov being unknown, I can't imagine they just let this fucking guy go and come over um, next year. So, you know, you, you, you probably should have a few years here where you can focus solely on random AHL guys that can serve as decent, you know, third strings if something happens uh, versus looking for the Martin Jones or Michael Neuverts or Brian Elliott's of the world to give, you know, endless one-year contracts to. Um, but... Yeah, Sonstrom does. I mean, Sonstrom's under contract next year. You can put him through waivers at the beginning of next season, keep him in the AHL as your three, as your third string, if you really yeah. wanted to. Um, but uh, whether the organization has soured on him to a point where they're just going to move him or not, you know, we should see. But I mean, it could happen at the trade deadline. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I assume most playoff teams probably are not going to even give him a second thought at this point. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sucks that the. Pl- that the trade deadline these days is simply seemingly only about what can we do getting to... late round picks for depth players. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that's it. And then figure out, okay, how can we complement our roster for the playoffs with a, a guy that's got some grit, a guy that's got some toughness. I mean, that's, that's largely what it is. You know, you rarely see those high level players, you know, get sent around, which would be great. I think teams should do that more often with the Tarasenko's and the Canes and, and whatnot. And, and maybe we see Patrick King get moved this off season. Of course, the, or, I'm sorry, this season, but of course the flyers are not involved in any of that. They're just, you know, taking a, they're on standby for the past nine years straight. <laughs> and it's, a, it's just so frustrating to watch it. All right, everyone. That- um, oh, Manny, you want to get your last thought in there? Yeah, they'll just really quick. Just, that's not where we are as a, as an organization. We shouldn't be gunning for late and mid round draft picks right now. Yep. We should be trying to get, you know, first, second, third round picks and freeing up space, getting rid of contracts in order to make a move happen in a flat cap era. Mm. The, getting rid of 775K doesn't do jack shit for us. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Got to clear out some money. Got to make yep. some moves happen. Chuck Chuck ain't, ain't the man for this job. You would think, Chuck. but they're too scared to move Nick Sealer, so they're clearly not going to consider anybody else. I mean, Chuck Fletcher is the kind of like making the baseball comparison. Fletcher is the batter that all he can do is bunt and he probably strikes out while trying to bunt when we need someone up here that can hit doubles, triples and home runs. And we're constantly in fucking bunt mode. Fletcher is the Colorado Rockies who's bitching and crying that this Padres are spending all this money when in reality they could just as well spend all this money. (sighs) All right, everyone. Uh, we'll call it a day here. When's this going up? Sunday? Shane on Monday. Probably get Anthony back sometime next week. And, uh, yeah, trade deadline's coming up. So stay tuned. We'll see what the hell this schedule looks like in two weeks' time. So, uh, at 10 the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Plenty of shit on the website, brotherlypuck.com. Check that out as the trade deadline nears. And, uh, Mike, where can people find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at flyer underscore AF and please tweet me. Try to convince me why I need to start watching more Flyers games. I'd love to hear the argument uh, and maybe I'll take you up on it, but I just haven't heard a good one so far. So uh, see you there. Are you staying up uh, till 10 p.m. to watch all these uh, West Coast games again? Yeah, you know what? I thought about it and um, nope. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Manny. I tapped out after the first period yesterday in Seattle. So I lasted uh, much longer than I probably should have. But at (laughs) Manny Benavidez, and as always, uh, go to brotherlypuck.com for any Flyers-related news and notes. And, uh, God, I can't wait for the Flyers to beat the shit out of the lowly Vancouver Canucks. And then we can all talk about the Flyers making wild card spot number two again. (laughs) Woohoo! This fucking. Uh, all right, everyone. Till next time. Goodbye and good night.